Dom Knight here. Welcome to another installment of The Double Disillusionist. This is a live show recorded on Tuesday the 7th of March at the Giant Dwarf Theatre in Redfern. Andrew P Street is my co-host and our guests were Van Badham from Guardian Australia, comedian Michael Hing from Triple J and The Feed and Alice Workman from BuzzFeed who works in the Parliamentary Press Gallery. We discussed many other things over the course of the evening, but the excerpt you're about to hear is a long chat about the leadership, particularly of the coalition, and how things will unfold over the months and years ahead, with a particular look at the WA state election coming up this weekend. We're doing these live events on a monthly basis, by the way. The next instalment is Tuesday the 4th of April. Once again at Giant Dwarf, you can book at giantdwarf.com.au. Let's get into the first topic, the, the leadership speculation, and uh, let's go straight to Alice on this, because she lives this stuff. Is it on? It's slightly on. Um, to the extent where when you have news poll ratings like they're having at the moment, of course there's going to be leadership speculation. But hopefully they learn from the mistakes of the past and that it's what not... What are a, the odds? Well, 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 I mean, like, who can say... There have right? been because, no mistakes in the past. Well, because when, you, when you're six months a year, a year and a half out from an election, you're only focused on winning the election, and you do whatever you think you can do to win it. You know, George Christensen might defect to one nation because he doesn't want to lose his seat, right? It's not because he probably really thinks that he is... I mean, he, he is kind of affiliated with one nation. But so like, I've seen that polling. Like, he's got every reason to be terrifying. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when you're six months after an election, this is an amazing debacle. Van, tell us more about the polling and, and where we are. I mean, how much, tro- how much trouble can you be in two and a half years from an election? Oh, it's extraordinary. I mean, you can be in a lot of... You can be in heaps of trouble. I mean, look at the trouble they're in. It's amazing. They are... It it has actually just happened that um, Bill Shorten is now preferred leader. Like, that polling has happened. Bill Shorten has become the preferred electoral choice. We finally gave in. After years of going like Labor, but not so much that In the greatest war of attrition, um, (laughs) of uh, perceptions of public personality in the history of Australian politics, that's a man who can play a long game. That's a long (laughs) game. He he wore us down. But the number number one polling for both Liberal leader and Labor leader is someone else, and who knows? Yeah, who are they? No, no, literally someone else, and who knows? To be fair, someone else has got some sweet policies. Yeah, (laughs) and Dutton's only at 2%. Oh, at the moment, the, the there was a there was a one, poll yeah. that came out. The essential poll today yeah. had Dutton at two percent. Um, but what's going on, of course, is that uh, I mean they've been elected without a mandate. The only policy they took to the election was a fifty billion dollar tax cut. I'm still a bit confused as to why people voted for them. But you know, I do live in a bubble of sane, rational human beings who like hospitals. So <laughs> stick to the plan, Van. Stick to the plan, and and this what? is don't yeah, ask stick what the, to plan the plan is. The just plan. stick to it. Don't, Innovation. Don't, yeah. Innovation is the plan. Yeah, and I mean, I feel more agile already. But um, I, I, I noticed that before. I know, right? We, when we were Neo- doing those those like handstands backstage. I just find it like hilarious that the neoliberal agenda of the of the contemporary coalition. Literally, the only person who's doing well out of it is me because I'm a communist and can like address its <laughs> contradictions like really effectively. Like the career boon of me, I think, is probably a bit of a, a great punishment for the you know population. But um, but it's it's quite it's quite real. They have nothing to do. They have nothing to legislate. The fact that they had this review into 18C as if that was an issue. Like, how racist it's can about we be? Freedom, should man. we be a bit more racist? Like, how racist do people feel we should be? Like, this extraordinary, like, facilitated discussions about feelings towards being a bit more racist. Like, we just paid for that as taxpayers, and that's what's passing instead of a policy agenda. But so, in the words of possibly our, you know, the greatest legal mind that this, this country has ever, ever known, 
people do have the right to be bigots. They do. They do. I mean, and this is the other thing. that The Brandis Circus is just amazing. And, Alice, I'm sure you can confirm, Brandis is so incompetent, it's not even newsworthy for him to be incompetent anymore. Like, you can't get a story up in a newsroom about George Brandis completely screwing up something he's supposed to be doing because that literally happened yesterday and it's all turning into this big sort of melange of, of inadequacy and, you know, the, the ongoing question, you know, like, is he incompetent or is he evil? Can you be evil? and incompetent how incompetent yeah, those, be those two things evil? are no, in no way mutually exclusive when, I now understand say... why he was arts minister because it's clearly some ongoing perform- uh, performing arts project <laughs> I have new respect for him now <laughs> I, I didn't realise this was all a performance art thing I'm waiting for the concept album it's always so look <laughs> let's, let's step back and look at, the, look at the field here because this is some, I mean, Malcolm Turnbull seems, and even though I'm kind of going, well, he's still Prime Minister and we're still two and a half hours, oh uh, two and a half years from he's an election. Prime Minister, he's still Prime Minister, it's incredible. I don't know, have we Sorry, checked can we Twitter? Check? Is, he still, is he still Prime Minister? Can someone monitor the Twitter feed and yeah, see if Lib Spill starts trending and then yeah. we'll adjust our conversation and so, analyze so, yeah. accordingly? See if the splutton has been called. <laughs> the splutton, it's going to happen. So how is the field looking now, Alice? I mean, if it, Tony Abbott thought he was going to be it for about a day and then no, as I soon as Matthias Cormann slapped him down, kind of had to pull back. But he came out of the gates going, 18C, the people demand clarity. Also, the Human Rights Commission, terrible thing. It's bullies. <laughs> They're a bunch of bullies. Let's get rid of them. And those were two of his big... Comeback policies. Mm, and immigration. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And slapping down the communist theory known as renewable energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Sorry, someone's well, got it to was stop Marx who, who first postulated energy could, be, could come from the sun I, uh, as I, and that workers owned it. Yeah, I mean, like I, do, I spend a, lo- a lot of time hanging out with the thoughts of Karl Marx and I just love the we need industry incentives for small business to find certainty in renewable energy targets is, is not a huge theme. Not a huge thing. Look, I've been reading a lot of Miranda Devine lately, and I think you'll find that is precisely what Marx was writing about. In she the context of the fact that his kid can't sleep. I love that. Like... I tell you what, when, you, when you've been up for 35 hours and it's four in the morning, Miranda Devine makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but you know what this is all about? The whole, the whole Dutton, the, the Dutton nexus that we're at is actually about Julie Bishop. Because there are three factions in the Liberal Party. There are the, there's the conservative right, and we know who they are. Everybody knows who they are. There's the you know Turnbull faction that's apparently the left of the Liberal Party, $50 billion with tax cuts. And then there are the West Australians. And Julie Bishop is... and But this is true. And Julie Bishop, who has, you know, like, knived um, two party leaders and stayed in position, the West Australians are not moving unless Julie can get the step up to Prime Minister. And, of course, the Conservatives have a problem with that because of that whole... Julie Bishop thing, you know, she's she's a woman. Yeah, and she's also oh. and, and moderate. And by the well, I mean, standards. she's as moderate as she needs to be to stay in the position that mm. she holds. And this is the problem. So the the Conservatives would love to knife Turnbull because they hate him. They've always hated him, and and they think he's a communist because the entire spectrum is just really quite whack. Yeah, look, Vaucluse is riddled with communists. Yeah, point, yeah, point Piper. The People's Republic of Wentworth, like yeah, it's yeah. full on going in there. I, I'm just about to actually go and take the, the Harborside Mansion as mine as a, a sharing of resources. I think it'll work go down very well. He's got two. What he won't even notice. Yeah. Um, so look, so, okay, so there you go. So who else is Occupy Kirribilli. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alice, who's, yeah. so who else is in the mix? I mean, what's, what's going to happen? Well, Tony Abbott isn't. Isn't. Like, just to... I, look, I think you'll find that Tom Switzer believes that... Uh, Tom Switzer, yeah. The, the Tony Abbott renaissance, the, 
tenaissance, if you will, is uh, just around the corner. Apparently he's the only man, the only man, Alice, who can bring the healing. The healing. How many Tom Switzers has the ABC got to hire before they shut the fuck up about bias? Anyway, um, Alice, can I ask if, if, if the reason... Abbott isn't happening. Is that because they don't see him as a viable candidate for, in an election, or he's just disliked by his party? Both. Both. Yeah, really. It's both. He's it's, not it's, winning on any front. No, none. Um, but he thinks he is, and that's what I think is quite troubling. What a tragic like, story. It, it, I mean, it is. If you think about it in that context of whenever he opens his mouth and you know gets regurgitated in in News Corp, um, that. He really is just a sad, lonely backbencher with two friends, Kevin. Oh, Andrews I was going to say. I mean, Betts. doesn't he have like like Abetz and Kevin Andrews just walking around behind him, going, "Oh, you're great. Oh, we love you. Oh, yeah, everything is as clever. Oh, yeah, you're is, awesome." Is you're Kevin Andrews nice. still alive? As Alex. you smell nice. Was Kevin Andrews ever alive? Like, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Andrews went to uh, Victorian Uni today and talked about the how horrible abortion is and how the evils of same-sex marriage are going to ruin society and um, just some other delightful topics like that. Just Can't he just That's give That's a populist his... platform in this country, yeah. oh, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. The kids love that stuff. His, book, his marriage guidance book? He didn't he write a whole book of marriage, marriage tips? When he was social he services minister, he came up with the idea of $200 counselling vouchers, mm. which... Uh, Amazingly, Samantha Maiden figured out you could use for sex therapy, and then he re- and then he realised that and thought, oh well, we've got to pull this plan. This plan is not good. So it well, was quite a fun. Well, the thing that I loved weeks. about the the, the two hundred dollar marriage uh, marriage uh, counselling vouchers was that at the time, and they did subsequently um, divest themselves of this. The Andrews owned a marriage counselling uh, company. And you could get a session with them for two hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah. So that was almost enough to get the wisdom of Kevin Andrews to uh, spice up your marriage. It, it's not a conflict of interest; it's an alignment of interest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so it's not it's it's not Abbott. Dutton's at two percent. I mean, I'm I'm surveying the, the coalition frontbench in my mind, looking for talent. I'm overwhelmed by options. Mm, Who obviously. else could there be? I mean, Christian well, Porter's discussed. This is what's so funny. The most competent person on the entire front bench is the one who you never hear about because she's a woman. It's Marissa Payne. Like she's she's, rel- she's a senator, so she yeah. Can't. But in terms of somebody who is carrying the can, who's performing extremely well, is the line vote pain going to go down well? It's, well, how could it possibly go worse than than jobs and growth? I mean, this is yeah, you do make a good point, you know. Yeah. And but this is what I find so funny, and this is the I mean, I get back to it. It is the the bishop conundrum: is that her faction is only going to break one way if they put her into the top job, and the ongoing structural problems with women are what's actually holding the back. And she's infinitely more popular than Dutton or Turnbull yeah, or Abbott no, or any there's, of there's them. There's no way Julie Bishop will ever be leader. And unfortunately for Maurice, even if she would hypothetically move to the lower house, which should, wouldn't really be possible, she couldn't be leader either because she's being potentially like daily undermined by Christopher Pine, mm. who thinks that his job outranks hers when it doesn't. It's extraordinary. <laughs> like, so. Awkward. Well, it is. Well, it comes up all the time that there are three people who are in the defence portfolio. She is a defence minister. He is in charge of defence material. Yeah, in charge of in charge of just keeping South Australian votes, right? Well, well, he's in charge of yeah, Yeah. lobbying for the South Australian delivering votes via submarine and and opening (laughs) opening ships. Like he does a press conference once a week, which is a terrible idea. That's how they sink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Andrew, you're from South. Dad. 
You're, you're, you're from South Australia. I am. Why do they like shipyards so much? Because now that there's no, there's no motor industry anymore, that's literally the only thing that anybody gets employed doing. Or biscuit industry. Or biscuit or industry. Or Coca-Cola Amatil. Or, or test tube factory or a glass factory. They're even winding down lead production in Port Pirie. Mm. Like, South Australia is an economic basket case. The unemployment rate there is only holding it around 8.8% because most people are moving to Victoria. And they, there are still seats there. And while there are still seats there, they've got to break all of their orthodoxy. And this is what I love. We don't believe in stimulating the car industry. We don't believe in, like, supporting manufacturing. We don't believe in any kind of tax breaks for creating, like, manufacturing jobs in the regions. We don't believe in TAFE. We don't believe in things. Except when it comes to submarine jobs mm. in mm. South Australia. Well, at I, which I think, point you I can I think have the subsidy... The I, I worked it out for a column, and I think it worked out at a, something like... $380,000 per job was what they're being subsidised to the tune I think it's slightly more. That does sound... It does sound a little low. It sounds low now that I say that. Because I think I've it's only a, 12 jobs as well. I've got a vision for South Australia, actually, and it worked with me on this. The three words. Premier Chris Kenny. If, you, if they take one for the team, if Chris goes to South Australia, they might suffer a little bit, but think of the benefits to the rest of the country. If Chris Kenny's busy running South Australia. You know, it's funny you should say that because they've actually been having an inquiry about turning South Australia into the world industrial capital for the processing of nuclear waste. That's true. This is how desperate they are for jobs. And they're, they're having that conversation as like, a, yeah, we can get all the world's nuclear waste here because half of South Australia is radioactive anyway. And I think if you're going to turn like a nuclear damaged desert full of waste products that nobody in the world wants, inherently the leader must be Chris Kenny. <laughs> Well, it's quite unfortunate because the one subsidised industry people don't talk about in South Australia is the um, Arnott's factory, uh, where they make all the... Why did no one talk about Arnott's? Do we we subsidise Tim Tams? Yeah. We subsidise Tim Tams and and not given them for free. And they also subsidise the Cadbury factory that they were... Oh, wait, they're not going to build it anymore, are they? We subsidise... One in Tasmania, no. Tim Tams? I like this brains trust you've got in the front row (laughs) to, like, help you out with all your little (laughs) queries. Buzz, BuzzFeed is actually... Uh, if you're from BuzzFeed, can you stand up and... and no, no. <laughs> All right, fine. There's, there's a hive mind of some sort going here. All right, um, okay, so that's... Well, yeah, the, it, I mean, it is basically a frog cake-based economy now. <laughs> so, wait, tell us well, about the... so what, close. What, it's what like was the, on top of it. But what was the long and short of the Arnott's factory thing? I'm intrigued by yes. this. They make all the wagon wheels in the country. And did you know this is a real... Wait, how does this relate to politics? <laughs> or are you just... Handcrafted by artisans, Michael. biscuits come from. No, I would never eat a wagon wheel, but... <laughs> Michael, you're you paying them. They, you're paying yeah, them you're to... Yeah, you're paying them. But they leave it. wagon wheels after they cook them for two weeks to get that chewy texture. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that? Lovingly left behind the heater for two weeks. I'm from the suburbs. I ate them. (laughs) They have the most horrible tasting biscuits, though. No. Look, I'm going on record. Wagon wheels, bullshit. (laughs) Be cool. You are losing listeners in South Australia. Take that, South Australia, Andrew. Take that, my former home state. I can never return now. (laughs) I'm Australian. I do remember once a role model herring telling me to eat a wagon wheel. And, and I but the, the real answer to the question that you asked a minute ago about why the shipbuilding in South Australia is Nick Xenophon. Like, that, that's the reason why it's a mainstream issue. Liberals didn't care till he cared, and he got so popular. Because the strange thing about South Australia is... Um, that's going to be... I'm looking forward to seeing how that ends. 
I mean, I mean. The strange thing about South Australia, dot dot dot. Oh, uh, like Snowtown aside, is um. Uh, Too soon. That's the bottom of the barrel, Alan. I was working. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Premier Kenny, is, is, <laughs> work with me. Anyway. Is that the the poll? Like, well, not, like the actual figures from the election say that no matter who people vote for in the lower house, uh, they all vote Xenophon in the upper house. It's just like this kind of bizarrely baffling thing because Xenophon kind of crosses these. He's a populist. He doesn't. He only stands for a couple of issues. And but he, you can easily see how you could be a Labor voter and vote for him, or a Liberal yeah, yeah. voter and mm. vote for him because. All the ways. That got so saucy. You, you've got, you've got I mean, Xenophon I mean, you say that now. in Queensland. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you say that about, you know, that Xenophon kind of rules the upper house in South Australia now. But, of course, that was before Corey, Corey Bernardi went independent. I mean, oh, now... Yes. Now, obviously, with his massive personal support, um, <laughs> the, the, the enormous... The, the, the silent majority of, of South Australia... They're just ...that have so just been silent. itching... Itching to vote for him, but just couldn't bring themselves to vote liberal because they're so communist. That finally he's 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 got he's got permission to shine. Like Vanessa Amorossi. Very. He is he is the Vanessa Amorossi of Australian yeah. politics. Yeah. In that he hasn't done anything substantial in decades. Yeah. Does, um, it, does anybody? Sorry, Vanessa. Does anybody oh, think right, look, that that was? So no, Amorossi burned. She didn't deserve that. I apologise. All right. So we've we've had a we've had a feel. We've talked. What I'm settling scores tonight. What? Who else is in his tree? Wagon Wheels, Vanessa Amorossi, they're all going down. <laughs> yeah, really hitting the big targets, aren't I? Now, now that so, so you've heard the, the field, but I'm getting the sense that there's actually not a particularly plausible contender at this point, which is probably good news for Malcolm Turnbull. Michael Hing, as a uh, just an ordinary Australian. Absolutely, I'm a man of the people, Don. What, what do you think? Looking at potential... With your semion jokes. Yeah. Michael, yeah. Michael Hing, a guy who works for, for, for SBS and Triple J, yeah. an ordinary who Australian, the uh, spends yes. a lot of time working on a gaming thing. Mm-hmm. Um, who would you? What do you think they should do? I mean, which of these people has the potential to shine? I, I, I honestly feel that it, it, it's Dutton. I think it's Dutton. He's I, honestly, everyone says that. Like everyone says, like, oh, no way, the Australian people would 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 elect him. Like, everyone hates him. People don't hate him. Everyday people love Peter Dutton. Like, in, 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 a, in, a, in a... Like, okay. When you say love, do you mean have no strong feelings about it? I think... I honestly think... I mean, again, I have no empirical evidence on this. Do this you is mean the love in, polling. like, how the my... relationship in the night porter is consensual? <laughs> is that... Here, here's, here's, here is my thought on Peter love, Dutton, right? It is the... a river that drowns the tender reed. <laughs> Michael Hing is from the Shire, so he understands ordinary Australia in a way that none of you probably can. None of you in a city... No, here's my thought on Peter Dutton, right? The guy is an example of Australia's inability to sort people into the correct jobs, right? So, for example, he spent many years... He spent many years as a a police officer in, like, Mm. regional Queensland, right? And then he goes from that to being the immigration minister to... Right? So either we had someone who was capable of being immigration minister, languishing in regional police work, or we've put someone who was well sorted into being a police officer in charge of like border security, right? He didn't just work in the regions though. He ran a drug squad. <laughs> yeah, 
But I, I, I just feel that like I, I just feel like that he's not someone who is suited necessarily to that job, right? But because but a drug squad job is very similar to border force, right? Like it's the same job. Yeah. Wikipedia tells me that <laughs> potentially. My, 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 anyway, my, my, my thought my, my, my thought process is though that you, you see the way he's escalated from where he was to to being immigration minister, right? And people I think think that he's done a very like good job being tough on border security, right? And I think Australians and Australian politics is so xenophobic and racist that there is that the, the majority of people who are voting in the electorates that matter mm. will be like, yeah, he's safe, and that's what we want. And I think, and I think whether it's not six months from now or it's a year from now or two years from now before the next election, I think he's the guy they're going to go with because he can win those marginal electorates where people where race matters. Yeah. If if you're saying ordinary, if you're thinking ordinary, Dutton is your man. Can I just say, there's some two very good hashtag poems that have come through. Keep them coming. Well done, Amelia and, and uh, Nicole, our first entrance. So, yes, uh, all right. Well, Peter Dutton, I, I, it seems strange to me, but, I mean, this is all... All this speculation was before he was being potentially made Minister for Homeland Security and essentially given responsibility for, for cracking down on being hardline on all manner of... Like, you and me, like all of us, it's Peter Dutton's going to be the nasty headmaster to all of us nationwide, so maybe that will change the, the equation. But prob- I'm probably the most likely scenario is that Malcolm Turnbull continues to, to stumble on um, until the, the next election. Is there any chance... I mean, I, I've written pieces recently. Andrew and I both wrote crazy, stupid pieces. Sorry, Andrew, but they were, saying, what if Malcolm, what if Malcolm Turnbull actually took a stand on one issue that would potentially win, win back popularity in the middle, uh, gay marriage? What if he actually got up and said hey, let's just do this, it's obviously going to happen, it's happened all around the world, most Australians are, in, are for it, it's a pretty laid-out mosaic human rights issue, let's just get this done. We both thought, published pieces on the same day, didn't collude, saying that this should happen, and, and clearly that was ridiculous. He's never going to do anything that bold. It's not only that he's never going to do that, but that kind of position doesn't help him. And that's, I mean, politicians... We tried to help him. Yeah. We tried. I, I know, and it, it was beautiful, and we're Thank all... Thank you! We're all Thank grateful. you! And, and, you know, in this lovely inner-city Sydney venue talking about, you know, marriage equality is, as an issue that could win Turnbull back support, I mean, that's not what's going on. And that's not what's going on in the regional seats that are determining the outcome of the next election. And the, the scapegoating in Australia will go very far. And the race is scapegoating and playing to that electorate because what a lot of people just aren't seeing from the inner city is just how much of an economic disaster the regional areas are and the kind of social problem and the intersection of social problems that are going on in Townsville and Shell Harbour and in um, rural South Australia and in Western Victoria and all of those kind of seats. You're scaring the crap out of me because that's what led to Trump. Exactly. And, but there's a very big... And the difference between um, the Liberals and Trump is that the Liberals here are very much trapped in their neoliberal mantra about tax mm. cuts and trickle-down and whatever. That's not the mantra that Trump ran on. I mean, it's what he believes, but it's not what he ran on. Trump said, I'm going to put money into manufacturing, I'm going to tear up all these free trade deals, it's going to be America first and we're going to build the Dakota Access Pipeline with American Steel. They're not doing that. They're not doing that. By the way, it came up this week, not doing yeah. it. Uh, all um, of the things he said, they're not doing that. Anyway, let's move Yeah, on. but this is the thing. So that economic um, protectionist America first policy really got cut through. In, and, you know, because I, I was in America twice last year and went to these 
places with just shocking industrial poverty and completely like dismembered industrial communities. And the reality is that's happening here as well. But what the Liberals have done is they've just let Fair Work cut penalty rates. And that is going to be a much, much bigger issue because they can't wind it back. I mean, they, you have 60 MPs from the Liberals and the, and the Nationals who are on record saying that cutting penalty rates is fantastic, and yet you have 700,000 Australians, a lot of whom are in service jobs not because they want to be, but because they have no alternative. The manufacturing jobs have gone, the upskilling jobs in heavy industry are going, the old um, fossil fuel industry jobs are going, forestry is going, and these very depressed communities, and, and, and the Liberals are clearly not on side. Hanson is playing to that electorate. She's playing to it with a, oh yeah, you know, Australia's got to come first. But at the same time, she's backed the Liberals in on every single economic policy vote that they've had. Yeah, well, I was going to say, the, the like, is, is Hanson not setting herself up for a fall, just the fact that she is supporting the, the cuts to penalty rates. Oh, and it's not just that. I mean, she supported bringing in more five se- four five sevens to construction sites. It's almost like, as if there's not a coherent policy platform for One Nation. I, <laughs> I know, right? Totally amazing. And um, but like, alternatively, they have opposed the four dollar an hour internship. So you could very as much argue that yeah. they do not have an economic policy. But I think I think. Are you implying One Nation don't know what they're talking about? Oh, they know what they're talking about. They're brilliant. They're a totally no, sophisticated like operation. Very, they're, they're, they've become their own... They're quite terrifying because they have become their own broadcaster. So they, mm. they, made, they decided at the end of last year they wouldn't put out press releases anymore, that if you wanted to they've know... they've got words. Yeah. Well, if you, want, if you wanted to know they were having them. a Sorry. press conference, yeah, yeah. then you had to follow them on Twitter. I do. And that's the only way you know about it. They don't tell journalists. They, she, they had a rule they only did live interviews so that that way you can't edit and manipulate what they say. Um, but they, she broke that because she did 7.30 the other day. Um, but then Insiders, of course, is live as well. So they, they, But it's quite terrifying when you look at the shares and stat rates of their um, Facebook and Twitter pages because they are speaking one to, like one-to-one to people and targeting people who, in the kind of Trump phenomenon, feel like they have been left out of the mainstream media narrative. They don't like Turnbull, you know. And, of course, we've got to remember, One Nation candidates traditionally are ex-liberals that can't mm. pass the vetting process, right? So... <laughs> so can't pass the vetting process. Yeah, yeah. Well, they can't. And that's, yeah. that's who these people are. And that's why you get these stories about, you know, them buying Russian brides and saying mm. that drowned refugee photos are conspiracies and Port Arthur didn't happen. Like, and, and Malcolm Roberts, whatever that is. Or whatever yeah. that's... Yeah, exactly, um, whatever that is. But I think, I think the answer to the question about what's going to happen with Malcolm is they've got to take him to the next election unless they really do freak out six months before and, and think that they can't handle losing and they, and they change leadership because he's, he's, he, Malcolm's problem is his own making. When he came in, he was so popular and his polling was so good, he should have done what everyone wanted him to do, which yeah, was yeah. set the agenda of the Malcolm that everyone... Knew that he has like leather he, jacket, he, Malcolm. That brief he should've, he should've flourishing. Got, he should have gone full balls deep in because his polling was so bad. And you can't, you can't overthrow someone you've just made prime minister like a week later, right? Yeah. You just can't do it. So he should have gone in and said, "This is my agenda, and this is what I'm going to do." Not do what he did, which was a huge backflip to Tony Abbott's office, which everyone said was over micromanaged and you know really Captain's calling and Pete and Credlin and him ran the ship and no one got a say and backbenchers couldn't get their phone calls returned and all this kind of drama. That's and Malcolm went the exact opposite and said, I'm going to be 
over consultory. I'm gonna That's actually fascinating everyone. because it goes to show that he massively fucked up twice. So first time as leader, he did a complete solo run, yep. tried to go for the centre, tried to be very yep. moderate, was going to play along with the, uh, the, the, the climate change policies, the Rudd government, and his backbench got alienated. Then the second time, when his backbench had just anointed him and they had to back him and, and he was massively polling and very, very popular, yep. he forgot all of that and pandered to the people he fucked up with last time. Yep. So and he's he none from the, two. He also has the problem of that uh, Abbott's always had Credlin. She's been there with him. She was there with him for a long time. Mm. Malcolm's never had anyone like that. He's gone through a lot of high, like his chief of staff and all these people have turned round. So I feel like he's kind of lacking... Chris Kenny, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. <laughs> Well, he's lacking in a bit of strategy direction that uh, has overarched his kind of narrative. And he's reached this point where about six months into his leadership, his polling had reached the point where they were about to call an election, but he was not on steady ground. So he went into this election with policy agenda that was pushed by the Conservatives and not by his mm. own faction. And, you know, you've got people like, well, not Corey anymore, but like Corey and George, who uh, strap bombs to themselves like... I was sorry, I was about to swear. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, that's a metaphor, and please swear. Oh, strap bombs for themselves, like, fucking every day, right? Like, every single day, George Christensen's Good like... Good swear. Thank you. <laughs> feeling a bit worried. Um, like, space. you know, sugar and... Like, you know, all these dumb issues that, as we mentioned before, really don't matter. But please, he's in a Nothing's more important than 18C. Position. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, obviously. Yeah, I've never, ever met a single person that's ever mentioned 18C to me as an issue. Never, ever, ever. Time at and yet, <laughs> higher education and, like, you know, they don't have a higher education policy. They haven't had one for 18 months. They're probably going to... Well, they are going to deregulate unis. That gets mentioned to me once a week. Yeah, they won't talk about that. They anyway, don't actually have... Pet there's, there's, like, three um, things they got policies on and the rest of it's just like, yeah, we don't know. Well, this is why the budget's going to be so fascinating because, like, traditionally, if you think about a three-budget arch, you go, election, first budget back is your hard line, maybe not as hard as 2014, but, like, that's your mean budget, right? Where you reward the people that voted for you and you fuck over the people that voted for Labor and the Greens. The next budget is you're kind of mellowing out, we're about to get an election coming soon. Then your third budget is your nice budget where you're like, please vote for us again. Hey. So we're, we're, we're technically in the cycle of fuck over budget, but they can't, they can't do that. afford to do that. Yeah. And 2014 was such a bad budget. And... <laughs> so we all get presents, you reckon? <laughs> Ponies. Well, I mean, the, the interesting thing is that whoever jumps from the coalition, and this is the problem that they have, they've only got one seat mm. between them and just complete yeah. chaos in the lower house. And it only takes one backbencher to get nervous and start having conversations with the Xenophon team or with One Nation, or and this is all the speculation. Or with Bob Catter. Or with no, Bob, Bob Catter. Well, Bob is the one that actually goes around courting people. Like, he courted Rod Rodney Carlson when potentially he could have kept his seat, but, of course, now it's gone to his brother. Oh, anymore. Rodney. But, um... So Bob I Cutter miss Rodney so much. But you, but you look at seats like Ford and yeah. the ones that were really close to mm. flipping at the last election and they're the seats where these economic problems are burbling away. And, you know, the it's really there. It's, it's labours for the taking. And what I think is becoming particularly interesting is the fact that finally, finally, after 25 years, Labour are turning left again. And they're playing. There was an amazing article by Paul Kelly in The Australian the other day, which was like panic I have never stages. heard that sentence before. I know in my life. it was amazing. It was amazing. We were like, you know, the, people like me were passing it around like some kind of like nefarious porn. Like you're not going to believe this. And it was Paul Kelly going, "Oh my God, Labor have discovered a populist left agenda. We're fucked." And and for me, I was just like, "It's it's Christmas. Like this is what's happening." Do, do communists celebrate Christmas, fan? How does that? 
Yeah, you know, we all wear the same outfit and we all get the same gifts. It's awesome. Yeah, the presents get shared around. <laughs> and the show went on from there. People wrote Clive Palmer-style poetry. We graded their scores. If you want to see some of them, look for the hashtag PalmerPoem on Twitter. We're back with a regular podcast next week. And the next live event is the 4th of April. You can book at giantdwarf.com.au. And Giant Dwarf is in Redfern, Sydney, Australia. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.